Gavin Stevens. The poets are wrong, of course. According to them, I should even have known the note was on the way, let alone who it was from. As it was, I didn't even know who it was from after I read it. But then poets are almost always wrong about facts. That's because they are not really interested in facts, only in truth, which is why the truth they speak is so true that even those who hate poets by simple natural instinct are exalted and terrified by it. No, that's wrong. It's because you don't dare to hope. You are afraid to hope. Not afraid of the extent of hope of which you are capable, but that you, the frail web of bone and flesh snaring that fragile, temeritous, boundless aspirant, sleepless with dream and hope, cannot match it. As Ratliff would say, knowing always you won't never be man enough to do the harm and damage you would do if you were just man enough. And he might add, or maybe I'd do it for him, thank God for it. Aye, thank God for it, or thank anything else for it that will give you any peace after it's too late. Peace in which to coddle that frail web and its unsleeping and snared anguish both on your knee and whisper to it, there, there, it's all right. I know you are brave. The first thing I did on entering the office was to turn on all the lights. If it hadn't been January and the thermometer in the low thirties, I would have propped the door to stand open, too, for that much more of a Mississippi gentleman's tender circumspection toward her good name. The second thing I did was to think, my God, all the lights on for the whole town to see— because now I would have Grover Winbush, the night marshal, up the stairs, as surely as if I had sent for him, since with the usual single desk lamp on he would have thought I was merely working and would let me alone, wherewith all of them burning like this he would come up certainly, not to surprise the intruder but to participate in the conversation, so I should have leaped to turn them off again, knowing that once I moved, turned loose the chair arms, I would probably bolt flee, run home to Maggie, who has tried to be my mother ever since ours died and someday may succeed. So I just sat there, thinking how if there were only time and means to communicate, suggest, project onto her, wherever she might be at this moment between her home and here, the rubber soles for silence and the dark enveloping night-blending cloak and scarf for invisibility, then in the next second thinking how the simple suggestion of secret shoes and concealing cloak would forever abrogate and render null all need for either, since, although I might still be I, she must forever be some lesser and baser other, to be vulnerable to the base insult of secrecy and fearfulness and silence. So when I heard her feet on the stairs I didn't even think, for God's sake take off your shoes or at least tiptoe. What I thought was, how can you move and make that little noise with only the sound of trivial human feet who should have moved like Wagner, not with but in the sonorous sweep of thunder or brass music, even the very limbs moving in tune with the striding other and a sound of tuned wind and storm and mighty harps? I thought, 
Since making this more or less secret date to meet me here at this hour of night is her idea, at least she will have to look at me. Which she had never done yet. If she had ever even seen me yet, while I was too busy playing the fool because of her to notice, buffoon for her, playing with tacks in the street like a vicious boy, using not even honest bribery, but my own delayed vicious juvenility to play on the natural and normal savagery, plus curiosity, don't forget that, of an authentic juvenile. To gain what? For what? What did I want? What was I trying for? like the child striking matches in a haystack, yet at the same time trembling with terror, lest he does see Holocaust. You see? Terror.